God's Word for the sermon today is from the book of Nehemiah in chapter 2. I'll tell you all about him in the sermon. I'm going to read the words now, and we'll unpack these as I preach. This is Nehemiah speaking. He says, Then I said to them, these are the other, the other people, the other Israelites, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me, and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them, saying, The God of heaven will give us success. We, are his, we his servants, will start rebuilding, but as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. This is the word of our Lord. Good Sunday to follow along using the worship notes. Uh, I have some uh, pretty key fill-ins there. We're going to track along, so grab your pen, grab that insert from your service folder. If you're watching online, this is available at our website, www.holyword.net. So here they are. I don't know how many more will do it today in today's NFL games, but we have NFL players kneeling during the Nantula Anthem. Um, obviously, their purpose is to make a personal statement, but what, what makes this interesting, right, that's very interesting for the media to grab onto, is that they're making this personal statement on company time wearing a team uniform. So I think one of the nub questions of this issue is, where does individual expression end and team unity begin? You may very well face the same question at work. Where does individual expression end and company unity begin? We face the same issue in church too, right? What's, what's the unity? How do, how do we have a mission for our church that is unified? And what is it based on? And Anytime you have a group and you're an individual in that group, the me and the we are going to collide. Right, that's the issue. How do we figure that out? Uh, I'm not so much worried about the NFL. Uh, not, I don't hold great interest in the issue. I'm not opening up Facebook or the news to see what everyone's saying about it. But I'm very interested in that when it comes to this church. I wonder that on a daily basis. Where does my individual expression, my personal needs, my ideas and opinions, how far do those go in leading this church? And where do I need to put the brakes on because it's, there's something else that is for the common good of, of this church, holy word? I hope you ask yourself the same question, and we're going to ask that. I'm going to have all of us ask, ask that today. Let me tell you what the solution is. It's very simple. There's this guy named Jesus, 
Okay, that's, that's the solution of the collision between me and we is, is Jesus. What does he want? What can this church do? And I'm, I'm glad that we're a church and not an NFL team because I think it, the answer is a lot easier for a church <laughs> because we have the guidance of our ultimate boss and our Savior Jesus, and it's very clear. We want our church to be about him more than anything else. How, how does everybody who is influenced by this church come closer to Jesus, and how, we, how to get more people to do that. That's what it's all about. That answers the question. Where does my individual expression and, and statement and needs end, and where does the mission of this organization begin? And really, I hope that they're the same. When God is our mission. When our mission is not to maintain the status quo, when it's not the institution, when it's not a directive handed down to us from corporate headquarters like a rule or a new policy, right? When our mission is all about God, I tell you what, that's the most exciting mission you can ever be on in your life. Because that mission is otherworldly. That mission is way beyond what any of us could ever imagine or even pray about. That mission is out of this world because God is out of this world. And when we're on his page, man, look out. Look what we can do as a group together and what I individually can be and how I can grow when I'm on God's page and God's agenda. Uh, That's true of us and it's true of of the nation in ancient history on whom God aimed his spotlight. And that's the nation of Israel. There were lots of other nations around, but God shone his spotlight on the nation of Israel and chose them for many different reasons. One of them is this. They're people just like you and me. So when God spends over half the scriptures telling us about his relationship with these people, He's he's telling us, I want you to learn something from this. This is an example for you. This is how I'm going to relate to you. This is how you behave. I want you to see how I I relate to you based on the Israelites. And so, um, not just personally as Christians, but also they were a nation then that had to operate as an organization, much like a church does. So we have lots to learn from the story of Nehemiah, which is plucked out of the Old Testament And let me give you a little bit of the setting and the background of what's going on here. First of all, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah in your Bible are two books. In the original Hebrew Bible, they were one. But we separated them because of content. And we called the first part of the the original one book, Ezra, because it focuses on a leader named Ezra. And then we called the second one, Nehemiah, because it focuses on, on uh, on a leader called Nehemiah. Likely the same author. But a little Bible trivia there for you. They originally just one book in the Hebrew Bible. Um, all the events in Ezra and Nehemiah take place during the Persian Empire. Okay? Now, before the Persian Empire ruled the world, the world power was Babylon. And Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar were the world power when they went on this power surge and decided that they would ransacked the the nation of Judah, the country of Judah, and destroyed the capital city, Jerusalem. That was in 587 B.C. 
So the, the siege and the power of Babylon actually started impacting Israelites and, and their home country, Judah, before 587, and then there's a siege that went on, but that was when the destruction happened in 587. The city was destroyed, the walls were broken down, the temple was destroyed, and the Israelites were taken into exile, into captivity, into Babylon. Okay, decades go by, and the Persians take over Babylon as a world power, and then King Cyrus of Persia makes a decree now. So, so Persia has a bit of a different policy about its nations in exile. There are other nations besides Israel where exiles were in this country, right? Different than Babylon, Persia says, you know, how we want to influence these people and keep our thumb on them is actually to send them back to their homeland to let them re-inculcate and re-culturize themselves back into their home culture, and that will benefit the empire. And so King Cyrus gave a decree. I want all Israelites to go back home, go back to your land, and rebuild. And, uh, and that's what that happened. These are my notes you're looking at that are projected here. Uh, right from my, I just took them right out of the page of my Bible. I don't know when I put them there, seminary or sometime after. But that those notes tell the story of, uh, of the dates, of what was happening, the book of Ezra. Sandwiched in between is the book of Esther, the queen, right? Uh, queen with King Xerxes. And so you see on the bottom there some prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, that were on the scene during those days. Malachi was on the scene during Nehemiah's days. The theme of each, the dates of each. And uh, Nehemiah's job was rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. So, here we are, we're the Israelites, we were in exile in Babylon, which turned into Persia, and now uh, we're going back to our homeland, and it's time to rebuild. How do we do that? And what's important as we do it, and who's going to guide the way? That was, that was Nehemiah's job, okay? Let me tell you a little bit about Nehemiah. Nehemiah was in Persia, he was on staff for King Artaxerxes. He was the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes. He, he was close to the king every day. And so the introduction in Nehemiah says that there was, at some point, uh, the exiles had gone back to Judah, and Nehemiah hadn't gone back yet, but then he heard a report from the exiles that went back to their homeland. And the report said that the walls had been destroyed, the city was destroyed, there was great sadness. Nehemiah was sad, and he said to King Artaxerxes, boy, I wish I could go back there to basically, can I take a leave of absence, Artaxerxes, and go back with my people? And the king said yes. And so uh, he appointed Nehemiah actually to be a governor in Judah and to be in charge of that operation. He sent him over. Here's a description of Nehemiah. Fascinating study. You'll often see uh, Bible studies or series written about Nehemiah that promote Christian leadership. There's a lot of sound leadership principles in Nehemiah, but even greater value is, is Nehemiah's understanding and his work of the mission of God. So I like this description the best of Nehemiah. I pulled this out of one of my studies. It said this, Nehemiah was a genuine leader, an excellent administrator, and a man of prayer. He exhibited many principles of sound administrative practice. 
Nehemiah's single-mindedness of purpose, he was focused. Attention to detail, willingness to delegate authority, dedication to service, and dependence on God were combined in a man who can simply be labeled as a servant of God. He was diligent in God's work for the community of God. One of our connect groups did a uh, color personality test this last week. I wonder what color Nehemiah would be. I wonder what color, if he'd be a red or a blue or white or yellow. Uh, as is the case, when you're leading any group of people, there's a struggle for everyone being on the bus, going in the same direction. Nehemiah was the driver of the bus. And he discovered that even not just the people that he was leading had different ideas about what that bus should be and who should be driving and where it should be going. But there were enemies, right? You heard the opposition as we read the, the sermon text, right? There was opposition from Gehem the Arab and right the Ammonite, and they came. There were, there were enemies that opposed the rebuilding project of the walls, and Nehemiah had to deal with this, and no doubt, as any leader, he had to ask himself, are they right? Is this bus really going in the right direction? Am I driving too fast? Am I driving too slow? Am I stopping enough? Should I be the driver? Am I following the right map? Right? As a parent, maybe in your job, certainly as a pastor, certainly as a leader in this church, even as a volunteer or coordinator, we ask these questions. Am I on the right mission here? Especially when someone uh, has a different idea or opposes it. What's the right mission? Am, am I? Is this a mission from God? Or is it just this fancy idea in my own head? That's a huge question. So I want you to take some notes now because um, I'm going to walk us through this with a diagnostic. And here's some diagnostic questions you can ask yourself when you wonder, is what I'm doing a mission from God? Can I say about this, God told me? And know what? This applies. This is, you can use this as a decision-making matrix in your life as a steward, right? God makes us all stewards of the resources that he gives to us, of, uh, of my time, my money, my possessions, my health. I'm a steward. And so I, I have to constantly ask myself, God, am I, am I using your resources properly? Am I, am I on a mission in my life that's about you? Let me give you some personal examples that I'm asking that question about right now. Uh, I'm, I'm doing a time study through the entire month of October. This is from our, uh, Dr. Gerard and I are leading a, a business and Bible study on Fridays, and we're reading the book Crazy Busy, and it's about time management. And uh, he put together a great forum about uh, looking at where you're spending your time. I'm going to spend the entire month of October tabulating where my time is going, because I'm wondering, it, it, am I, God, am I serving you well by my time? 
because I'm running up into, I, I don't have enough time for everything that I want to do, and I want to do it right, right? So I'm asking this question. These questions in this diagnostic will help me. Uh, I'm on a new nutrition and exercise regimen. It requires A, B, C, and D that I didn't have to worry about before. Are A, B, C, and D good, God? Are they, are they things that you want me to be doing? Or would you rather have me be doing X, Y, and Z, God? Am I, is this your mission or not? These diagnostic questions will help me answer that. Where do I spend the time that I have to invest in my family? Do I, do I need to give more time to my mother since dad died in January? And, and I, she needs me in ways, and maybe doesn't need me in some ways. I, do I have some assumptions there? Just, I think moms always love it when their sons call. You know, I could probably call her every day, every hour. She'd be happy. I don't know, but I don't. Should I be doing more? Spending more time with my grown sons? Spending more time with, with my sister, who's a victim of abuse and divorced and a single mom and isn't getting justice with the family court system where she lives? Should I be an advocate for her? Should I fly up there and wave the flag and push my weight around? I... Help me, God. What's the mission here? Right? You have similar questions to that in your life too. And let me tell you about the question that I have on my job. Am I leading this church, God, in the right way? Too fast, too slow, right, left, big, small. What's, God, what's your mission with this church? There's not going to be any drama today. I'm not revealing anything crazy. But that's an everyday question that I ask. And you may ask that question about your job too. And certainly if you're involved in leadership or a coordinator or volunteer at Holy Word, those are the same questions. So, right, I... I, said, I say that to you so you understand how street level this is. This is an everyday decision-making matrix and occurrence for us. I'm going to give you some diagnostic questions to ask. I don't know if these are the best questions. They're certainly not the only questions. But they're ones that are here in Nehemiah and ones that I ask and can be helpful. So here we go. Number one, first question to ask. Do I need this for me? That came up in the book that we're studying for our men's Bible study. Uh, it's called Crazy Busy. And it makes this point. We're, we're probably all too busy. Probably. And the things that you're too busy with, we tend to blame those on other people or on circumstances around us. But at, at the end of the day, we, we do what's important to us. We make choices to be involved in things that we think are important. And sometimes... I do things because I need them for me, not so much because they really need to be done. I do them because I need to be busy. Here's the better question. Does God want this from me? Right? Can I say God told me? What does that mean? That means I got to know the Bible. That means if I'm doing A, B, C, and D in my new nutrition and exercise plan, I better have some kind of Bible guidance to back me up so I can show you and say, yes, this is important. God told me, right, in the Bible. There, chap, 
we're, we're focusing on chapter 2 of Nehemiah today, but chapter 1 is awesome. Take it and read it. And, and the bulk of chapter 1 is this long prayer that Nehemiah prays before he goes to action in chapter 2. I'm going to give you some components of that prayer as we work through this chart. And it reveals the heart of a great leader and great man of God. And I want to do it in the same way. So here's, here's one thing he says, chapter 1, verse 8. You maybe want to write down these references. I don't have them on the notes or projected, but chapter 1, verse 8. Here's what Nehemiah says to God. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses. Nehemiah is telling God, God, if this is a mission from you, I tell you what, I'm going into the Word, and I'm going into the, the Old Testament Scriptures, and I just found something that you said to Moses, God, that applies here. That's Nehemiah going into the Bible. Second question. Is this God's growth for my glory? Here's how this operates. You and I become God's teacher. Okay, God, God you got some splaining to do. All right, God, you got some work to do. Let me tell you, God, how this works. I'll tell you what, God, you get on my bus, I'm the driver, you're the passenger, and I'm going to take us to places. This is how this is going to work, God. This is your growth. You need to change, and this is, about, this is all about me. This is my glory. You see how crazy that sounds, but we do it. Here's the better question. Is this my growth for God's glory? I... Man, God, how do I make you look good? Do I need to hurt in order to make that happen? Then I'll, then I'll hurt. Does it need to rain on my parade for you to look good, God? Then bring the rain. Do I need to wait for an answer to prayer, God, patiently and persist? Uh, then I'll wait. God, what is it that, that you want me to do to make you look good? I'll grow, I'll change. I'll stop. I'll start. I'll go faster. I'll go slower. I'll hang out with this person and not hang out with that person. But God, it's about you. How do I make you look good? That's Nehemiah. Chapter 1, verse 6. Nehemiah admits that he's not God. He says, the sins we have committed, God. Right? God, I'm not perfect. I need you. And in chapter 1, verse 11, he says, you are the God, and we delight in revering your name. If I'm revering God's name and I'm worshiping him, he's, he's, it's about his glory and not mine, then I'm on mission. Question three. Is my, do my prayers about this thing that I'm making a decision about or this mission that I'm on, are my prayers a closed list? Okay, a closed list is like a shopping list. You have 13 items, and it's a really good idea if you go to the store and you, you go to the checkout register, and how many items should you have if your shopping list is 13 items? 13. Who said 20? <laughs> I didn't say how many do you have. I said how many should you have. Right? 13. That keeps me on budget. keeps me on task, right? All right. That's not a good idea when it comes to praying. Right? Here's how a closed list prayer sounds. It's a closed list, right? 
It's all my ideas, 1 through 13. God, these are things that I'm going to tell you you need to work on and you need to change. These are circumstances, God, that aren't working in my favor right now, and God, I need you to take care of them. Dear God, I'm, I'm the pastor of this church, and if, I just, if more people would show up to things more often, or people, God, can you just make them respond to my emails all the time uh, efficiently, and, and I don't have to chase anyone around and, and uh, make sure, God, that there's not things on the stage here at church that get in our way and we want to use it on Sunday. And uh, God, get, make sure we have enough money uh, to do everything that we want to do. And uh, God, uh, I want a day off in there too. That would be great. Maybe two days off and uh, other people can, you know, do their part and, and I don't have to work so hard. Amen. That's a closeless prayer. That's me telling God what to do and assuming that that will make my life better and this church better and put us on mission. If you were God, how would you answer that prayer? Probably make the opposite thing happen from all those things to, to give me some humble pie and, and teach me a thing or two. Better than a closed list prayer is an open canvas prayer. Give God a whiteboard. And give him the markers and say, God, let's do something. What do you, God, what do you have in mind today? Um, in our pastor coaching network, a bunch of us pastors are talking about making our, uh, our, our idea for the day, our agenda in our mind, what we want to happen, what's on our calendar, and bringing God into that scene, bringing him into the picture so that I'm walking with him through the day and he's part of it. And how do we do that better? And, and one of our first ideas was kind of the closed list prayer. It was like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, pray about my calendar. I'm going to take my calendar to God, and I have this appointment, and I need to get that done, and these, these projects, and God, here, God, here's my calendar. Be with me. And then we kind of scratched our heads thinking, well, who's in charge there? So what we do now is we say, morning, God. I have some ideas for what today will look like. Before I tell you about those, what do you want from me today? How can I, how can I serve you? How can I be a better pastor? This appointment that I have, God, with this person, what do they need from me? What do you want me to give to them? This house project that I'm doing, God, oh man, I, I have this honeydew list. I wish it were gone, but I got stuff. I, I just, how can I do that in a way that's pleasing to the people in my family who need me, God? Get, God, help me with the time that, it, that I need to take to do that. God, what does my day look like from your perspective? That's an open canvas, and man... See what God can do. Uh, God, what do you want me to believe? Who do you want me to become? Let me give you an acronym for an open canvas prayer. This applies to prayer in general. A-C-T-S. Acts. A-C-T-S. A great model for prayer. You don't, this, is, this is not the only way to pray, but it's a good way. A is a door. God, you're... You're the greatest. You are perfect in your wisdom and perfect in your love. And you sent your son Jesus 
for me. And when you do that, you're going to give me everything else. A is adore. C is confess. God, I, I'm sorry. I've tried to be you, and I just can't do that job very well. I need you. T is thank. Right? This is all putting you in a perspective of prayer so it's not a closed list. Thanks, God. This day is going to be awesome. I'm not scared. I'm not anxious. I'm not worried. I'm not overwhelmed, God, because look at this. Look at this open canvas. Look at this wide open whiteboard. And, the, and I know the things that you can do. Thanks for this day. Thanks for the sunshine. Thanks for the rain. S is seek. That's one of four has to do with you asking something. That's when you ask. That's, that's the ask, right? God, I'm seeking. I'm asking you. But the first three, it's, it's a good order because the first three put you in a position then to ask the right stuff, the in Jesus' name stuff, the may your will be done stuff, okay? That's open canvas. Here's what Nehemiah says in chapter 1, verse 4. When I heard about the condition of Jerusalem being destroyed and the walls destroyed, okay? When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Am I I sure about A, B, and C, and D in in my nutrition exercise plan? Am I sure about that? Well, I'll be more sure if I took a few days to pray about them before I decided what they should be, and maybe if, maybe longer. All right, seeking God. Number four, last one. Bad question, uh, bad position. Am I worried about the agendas of everyone else? Newsflash, you will never, ever make everyone happy. Never. Don't try. But I know you all do. I do too. For various reasons, whether it's control or harmony or what, we, 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 all, we want everyone to be happy. And so there's going to be a person that's, who's unhappy with you in a way that if you concede to that person, then God's not going to be happy with you. And you, now you've got to make your choice. Do I make this person happy or do I make God happy? Sometimes you can't do both. Life's really good and really easy when we can do both, but it just doesn't work that way. There's going to be people that are not necessarily evil, wicked, or bad, or sinning, that they just have expectations of you that don't fit God's agenda for you for the day. And that God would be happy if you did something else. So be careful about making everyone happy because you're not going to do it. It's impossible and come down on God's side. So I want, to be, I, want to, I want my life to be all about the agenda of God, right? Um, do you want to be assured that your plans and ideas for the day are perfect? Hey, they, they are when they line up for God's mission for your life. Do we want to be assured and confident in our direction as a church as we go on mission? Yes, we do. And if we want to do that, then we say this, that our church does not operate by a democracy, that at our congregational meetings, we get our voters together, and what, what we don't want is our voters, each of them individually, their opinion, voting their own idea of what they think the church should be like if they're driving the bus. And me too. 
Where's God in that? The mission and direction of our church is this. God, take this bus and you drive it. And put us in the passenger seats. And God, help us to decide and to, and to cheer and to praise and to go and make it all about you as you're driving this bus, God. And what do you want for us? Where do you want to take us, God? Where do you want to take my family, God? You drive the bus. I'm getting in the back seat. It's going to be scary. It's going to be bumpy. But you're driving. That's God's agenda. Um, here's what Nehemiah says, chapter 1, verse 5. It says, Lord, you're the God of heaven. You're the great and awesome God. Nehemiah is saying, you're right, God, you, your agenda is better than mine. Verse 11, give your servant success today. Right, that attitude of Nehemiah, God, I'm your servant. You're not mine. God, I'm not your master. I'm not your boss. God, you're in charge. God, let your love lead the way. Let it fill my heart and help me to trust you and follow you and not the other way around. I want to redefine our idea of success. And again, I think this applies as a church and also for you individually. I think this is going to free you up, this understanding. Success is much less about what you do and much more about what you want to do. If there's any supervisors or coaches or trainers, they might want to come up and tackle me and pull me off stage for saying that. But I, but I say that from a spiritual perspective. And when we're there, I believe that can really have an impact on everything else, including anything your boss, your supervisor, your trainer, your coach would tell you. That that redefining success isn't so much about my performance, about what I do. That's going to be influenced, of course, if, I, if it's more about what I want to do. And that makes it spiritual. That, that means, God, I want to follow you. God, I want my heart to be yours. God, I want you driving the bus, right? And when I'm there, that's going to make the, the outcome and the result better. Uh, Karen and I saw the movie Passengers uh, a week or so ago. Spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you about it, so if you don't want to hear about it, close your ears. Turn your volume down if you're watching online. I don't know if I'll tell you more than what's already out there, but it's a, it's a spaceship is taking a journey from Earth to a different planet to start a new world. On the spaceship are 5,000 people. They're contained in these hibernation pods. It's a 90-year journey. Uh, part of the hibernation pod is you don't age for that 90 years. Okay, lo and behold, three years into the trip, they show the spaceship. It's on its way to the distant planet where everyone's going to begin a new life. World, the world is, the earth is polluted and overpopulated and it's dying and they're going to start a new race on this new planet, right? Three years into the voyage, boop, 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 boop. There's a bit of a malfunction on the ship. Jim, uh, Christopher Pratt, I think the name of the actor is, right? But his name in the movie is Jim. His pod opens. Nobody else is just his. It goes through the automated system, wakes him up. He looks around. Hey, all right, we're, we're close. We're here, discovers. No, you're not even close. Uh, can't get into the, the command 
can control the bridge to adjust the ship in any way, um, he's stuck. And he hangs out for a year, going crazy. Uh, beard long, right? It's, I mean, he's all, everything's functioning, so he gets food, he gets drink, he can survive. But you kind of get lonely and kind of start to go nuts being one person, and there's 4,999 other people still taking a nap and loving life. And so what does he do? He wrestles and struggles with the idea of, I don't know, wake someone else up. Because guess what? He has 86 years to go. He's going to die before he arrives at the next planet. And if he wakes this person up, they will too. He wakes up Aurora, a nice-looking lady that he might like spending his life and his death with. And uh, then that's the plot of the story, is that at first she doesn't know. He, she just thought hers was a malfunction too, but he found out a way to, to compute her hibernation pod so that she wakes up. And sure enough, it happens. She finds out it was not a malfunction for her pod. Jim woke me up to kill me. Woke me up so that I would not be able to, and they can't get back in their pods, they can't fix it. She's dead. She and he will die before they get there. Thanks very much, Jim. What do you do if you're Jim? Put yourself in his shoes. That you're, This is a year, and the only option you have for companionship is to open up a pod. Maybe you, the two of you can figure out how to live. Maybe, maybe not. But it's a pretty selfish survival tactic, wouldn't you say? Waking up another person to their death. The plot thickens then as uh, she finds out she gets angry, she convicts him of selfishness, he faces his own conscience, realizes that uh, that was pretty selfish of him to bring her onto the ship. They part ways for a while, and then uh, the ship starts to fall apart, and it's going to crash, and it needs someone to do something. And as he's growing in his understanding that he was selfish, he realizes that he can save the ship with 5,000 people on it, but it may cost him his life. Thus the plot from his selfishness to his selflessness. Fire, explosions, computers. Blah, 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 blah. He gives his life to save the ship. And uh, ends up he doesn't really die spend 84 years together. They don't make it to the planet, but everyone else does. All 4,998 other people make it to the new world. There is a mission in Jerusalem that happened 400 or so years after Nehemiah was there. And it's that mission that involves Jesus the one whose motive for his mission was never, ever, ever selfish, but was selfless from the beginning. And like Jim's mission was to save everyone on the ship, Jim didn't go to individual pods and say, ah, there's a, there's a white male like, like me, I'll save that person. 
there is someone who is not my race, not my class, not my culture, not my religion, not my creed. I'm not going to save them. He saved everyone, all 5,000 of them. And Jesus didn't pick and choose, but he died for you and 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 you. And Jesus loves everybody in a selfless sacrifice. This verse, we, uh, we studied it in, uh, in our Jesus Loves Me group on Thursday. Jesus says, we're going up to Jerusalem, same place where Nehemiah was. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Jesus gave his life to save us all. That was his mission. Follow him. Follow that leader, and you'll be on a mission just the same. Let's do that here at Holy Word. Let's do that at his church as we ask, right, how, what can be the mission of our church? What is our church's mission? Now, what? That's the wrong question. Let's not ask that question. Here's a better question. Then what's our church's mission? For each of us to ask, what is my mission from God at his church? That means that I'm in it. I own it. Like Jesus owned his mission, I'm in it. It's a mission of mine, not of everyone else. I have a personal mission. And at this church, whose church is it? Pastor Darren's church. Nope. It's God's church. It's Jesus' church. Right? And we get our mission, our directive from him. We've chosen to outline that in, in four ways. I'm going to give you those four now. We're going to wrap it up. Each of them has a component from Nehemiah chapter 2 that I just loved seeing, and we, we outline our mission from God at Holy Word with the four B's, right? We say our number one mission is to believe. We go to God's Word. God, what, what, what are you saying here? Nehemiah says, the gracious hand of my God on me. We want to believe. Faith opens the door. Faith opens the door of God's love and gift and blessing. And so we want our first response more than anything to be faith. We believe in Jesus and what he says. Number two, belong. Nehemiah says, I said, let us, and we are his servants. All these first-person plurals in Nehemiah's memoirs and his prayer. It's all about the group, group effort. We're all part of the body of Christ. Christ is the head. You and I are a part of it. We belong to each other. Right? Whether we like each other or not, we belong to each other. We love each other. We're part of the body of Christ. Three, become. Nehemiah says, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. We're all works in progress. None of us are graduates. God's at work in your life, and it's a, it's a process. Don't be impatient with yourself. Don't be frustrated with yourself when you're not as perfect as you would like to be. And know what? Let's be patient with each other, too. Let's look at each other when we're tempted to be frustrated with each other and say, ha, <laughs> that Nathan, he's God's work in process. It's okay. God's, God's got work to do in his life, just like mine. Finally, beyond Nehemiah says, the God of heaven will give us success. Heaven, the God of heaven. Heaven is filled with perfection. 
Heaven is filled with angels and good things. And when we look to that God to, to guide our mission, it keeps us from being, from the blinders being on and being closed-minded and small thinking. There's, uh, there's this joke that goes around our, our church circles. I don't know if other churches too. But our, our church circles tend to be on the smaller scale. We're, we're, we're Lutherans, first of all. And then we're, our particular tribe is, is pretty conservative when it comes to being Lutherans. And so uh, we sometimes get the idea like that, that, that we're the only ones doing church right. And that, that like, well, I'm just going to say it. We sometimes give the impression like we're the only ones who are going to be in heaven someday. And so... Um, there's this joke that there's a, there's a bunch of us conservative Lutherans in heaven and we're all huddled around with each other and our arms on each on shoulders and we're in a huddle and, and uh, there's some people over there in heaven and we're all kind of looking at them like they, and they look and they sound different from us and they're not eating sauerkraut and they don't cheer for the Packers, right? And we're here, we're looking at those and someone in our huddle says, hey, someone go over there and tell them that we're the only ones here doesn't make sense, then or now. Um, let's look beyond ourselves. Let's look to heaven for guidance on our mission. Let's be on mission as a church and as individuals, and let's see what God can do. Amen. Let's pray. God, you are great, you are awesome, and your love for us is perfect, and it will never fail. We confess that we've too often doubted, too often wanted to drive the bus that only you can drive, too often been selfish in our own mission. Thank you, God, for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for being patient with us and never leaving or forsaking us. Thank you for guiding us as we need to lead and guide others. Thank you for being present in this church. Now we ask, dear God, that you, you fill our hearts with your grace and love, with the with the love of Jesus, your Son, and if you give him us, certainly you give us all good things. Bless us as we seek to use those good things for your glory and on your mission, on your purpose, and your agenda. Amen.